Live. Today, I'm very happy to have with me author and historian Henry Davis. Henry has written the book Creating Christianity, a weapon of ancient Rome, which asserts that the story of Jesus was created by Roman royals as a way of undermining the Jewish religion and paving the way for a new dynasty of emperors with their own religion to control the masses. At the center of this creation, Henry reveals an individual obscured by history, Arius Calpurnius Piso, to whom Henry attributes most of the credit for writing the New Testament. The twists and turns are many, and the individuals involved are often hard to pinpoint, but with Henry's help, we will take a high-level look at this very specific time in history that has been obscured by time and agenda, and try to unravel a mystery 2,000 years old that has driven the course of countries and kings and been responsible for amazing works of art, architecture, and altruism, as well as wars and violence. Henry, thank you for talking with me today. You're welcome. Thanks for inviting me. Um, by way of introduction, I'm going to just kind of explain my own interest in this discussion. Uh, like many people, I was raised in church. I went to theological seminary after high school, but eventually experienced a crisis of faith that led me away from my faith, family, and friends and into the wilderness of skepticism. Over the years, I have continued to look into new revelations regarding the Christian faith, such as the discovery of the Gnostic Gospels in 1945. When I recently discovered the work of Henry Davis, a whole new stack of questions emerged, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So we've got a lot to go through, and <laughs> uh, before we start, though, I think, Henry, just to kind of kick things off, like I said, you know, I went to church and kind of went to Bible school and, you know, at some point had that crisis of faith and went away from what I knew growing up. But uh, I'm curious as to what it is that uh, got you into this interesting discussion. Um, well, personally, I've never um, really been brought up in a religious kind of environment. Um, so for me, it's purely a historical fascination um i wanted to uh formally study uh ancient history and, and the documents and primary sources um but back when i wanted to do that i suffered with a lot of anxiety and lack of confidence so um i embarked I'm on yeah um <laughs> so yeah i embarked on trying to teach myself as best I could knowing that um, of course I was always going to be um, limited to what I could understand without going through a formal education so I tried to read the work of um, popular historians and um, researchers of um, this period of, of time uh, which helped um, a, a great deal and then um, as I was doing that, um, I suppose I had the questions of how um, Christianity fit in to the time period that I was studying, because I could see how the other religions sort of came about. But for this one, like many 
um, researchers have said before me, it, it appeared to just exist in its own little world. Um, and there were many um, questions and issues which hadn't been answered by mainstream academia. Um, but when I started to investigate um, that side of it, um, I was very careful not to um, sort of come across the, the information and sort of study it in a way that was uh, sort of cons conspiracy-like. Um, mm. I wanted to try and make sure that I kept a, a very level head mm. um, and not um, go down the route of, oh, this is bad, this is wrong, um, this is what happened, and just be very sober in the investigations because, I, I mean, it, it, in the book, um, I do touch upon um, uh, reading the work of um, Joseph Atwell. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I first encountered his book through the um, documentary he created. Um, right. And only just chanced I. upon that. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. um, and I only chanced upon that, um, funny enough, when, when watching YouTube, I was watching a few documentaries about Roman history. How funny. And for some reason, um, I, I don't know why it came up, but that documentary came up and it looked interesting. I didn't think anything about it at that time. Hmm. Um, but when I watched it, um, it, it it made sense yeah. to me based on what I'd already researched. But obviously at that point, I didn't know anything about what's in the book. So it's taken years to kind of bring myself up to speed with the information. Um, but it's it's purely an historical um, thing for me. It, it's not um, motivated by any kind of attack on religion or anything like that. I'm purely mm. interested in the historical evidence and facts side of it. Yeah, my um, <clears throat> where I come into it is kind of getting to where you're at in your mentality, but you know, for 23 years, I was heavily steeped in uh, the Christian religion yeah, and saw it from that perspective, right? From the inside out. Yeah. And then now I'm looking at it from the outside in and I've gone through a similar journey as, as yours, um, having looked at uh, Joseph Atwell's research and, you know, uh, several other books as well. It's been fascinating for me over the years to see how new information has come out and the more that new information has come out the more that we're getting a clear view of this specific time in history that if you believe the uh the the atwell theory or at least you know where he starts to point yeah. then there is a very interesting what I would call distortion that happens in this time of history. Mm -hmm. And if you're a Christian, then you're following a certain history. Whereas if you're an academic and you're, you're um, uh, looking at it from that perspective, you're, you're seeing something different. And I think that yeah. your book is an example of looking at it from the outside in and not trying to have any 
uh, specific bias, but just looking at the data and seeing where it points. And mm-hmm. where it points is, I would say, both fascinating and disturbing at the same time. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> when you when you look at, you know, if, if you're looking at Piso, Arius Calpurnius Piso, and you know, if anybody reads the book, then you can get a lot more details on this. But we're we're going to talk about uh, a fair amount here. But if you look at Piso and you look at what his motivations might have been for doing what he did, then it casts a very dark shadow. Yeah, and that's something that for somebody who grew up in that environment is disturbing right yeah it's disturbing to think oh that's what i was a part of um yeah because for me it was over a period of time an unshakable feeling that i didn't have the data i didn't have anything like your book to say oh this is what's really going on all i had was my feeling yeah. And the evidence of my own life kind of, you know, I mean, it was kind of like, okay, where's all this awesome, you know, Christian stuff that I'm supposed to be getting, you know what I mean? Lo- the, the, uh, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faith, you know, all the, all those sort of good yeah. things. Right. Um, and it's not that those are bad things, but no. it was like a magic wand that I kept on trying to, you know, use, and it just yeah. wasn't working the way that I wanted it to. And so get anything back from it, from the way you feel. Not, you know, on a very realistic physical level is kind of if like, uh, it, 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 and also, um, in say competing in the world, there might be some advantages to being a part of a religion, but there's also some, I would say intellectual disadvantages. Because there's a a constant, say, psychological splinter in your mind everywhere you go. And it's it's this idea of if you die without Jesus in your heart, you're going to burn in eternal flame, you know. And and, um, and a lot of different things sort of connected to that, right? So when you go through the effort to try to disconnect yourself from all of that, and uh, also try to make your peace with it mm-hmm. and move on from it. It's uh, very helpful to be able to have a discussion like this. And, and that is my primary motivation for wanting to, to have this conversation with you is because I feel like there's a lot of people who are in a similar position to where I was, you know, 20 odd years ago at this point where they want to get out they know that they have an unsettled feeling about the situation but they can't put their finger on it and um and this is i think a very special book in that when you consider the last two thousand years of history and how much has been obscured by time the opportunity that we have to have a conversation like this and to look through this information is, is, excuse me, quite amazing. And, uh, I relish the opportunity to, to have this discussion with you. So what, 
I want to do is let's see if we could try to find a good springboard uh, because there's a lot to talk about. And I'm sure that there are people who are listening um, on both sides of this topic. You have people who are true believers and you have people who are complete skeptics. And I hope as much as I can to be sympathetic to both sides. Uh, But what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at this uh, point in history and trying to unravel something that um, has been uh, tangled up for the last 2000 years. So the the way that I would best describe it, Henry is, so there's two histories. There's the history of the Bible. And uh, if you were raised with that, if you believe that, then the Bible presents a certain history. Yeah. If you're looking at the data that you uh, point out in your book, and others have done similar work as well. What you do is you pull back the veil and you reveal the wizard behind the curtain, so to speak. Yeah. Who is the Wizard of Oz, right? And uh, <laughs> in, in this case, yeah. you're pointing at a guy named Arius Calpurnius Piso. And this is, um, if you know anything about Joseph Atwell's work, this is like going down the rabbit hole and then finding another rabbit hole and then going down that rabbit hole. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It kind of describes it quite well, actually. Yeah. Yeah. A, with the many, um, with the many twists and turns that, that the research takes is definitely a lot of rabbit holes that you've got to go down to kind of mm-hmm. find and, out who the actual individuals were. And you really have to understand the context surrounding the the situation, the languages, yeah, and the culture around those languages. And that I think is um, you have to understand the motivation as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I mean, to for a claim to be made that the Roman aristocracy or Roman elite wanted to create a new law, which is basically what the testament is mm-hmm. um you'd have to show and understand that they would have they they'd have a motive for doing that because mm. um a lot of um arguments will be that they didn't need to create a new religion they could just wipe out um any opposition mm. but the, i think what people miss is that um engaging in war and using the military didn't wasn't free it cost a lot of money and if Mm. they could figure out a way to change what um their opposition fought in a much cheaper way then they were going to do it Hmm. now i know i've read um that some scholars feel that the roman aristocracy weren't clued up enough on a Jewish religion to be able to create the scriptures. But th- that that's a logical standpoint when you don't have the information regarding the um, genealogical connections. Mm-hmm. So when you understand that 
the, the families involved, the, the, the Flavians, right. the, the Pisos, the Herodians were all related. Yes. You can gather that, okay, they must have had knowledge of the Jewish scriptures mm -hmm. and people to help them. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't just a Roman family writing Jewish scriptures. They had the aristocracy from Judea who were their relatives helping them to compile it. Um, but again, as you say, it's it's a rabbit hole of, that you've got to go down to uncover that. Mm -hmm. The first thing you have to be willing to do is you have to be willing to take the history of the Bible yeah. and essentially throw it out the window. Because so sense, often yeah. what I find, like when I was reading your book, is there's just so many times when stuff that you're talking about conflicts with the history that I know that I was taught. Yeah. And so there's, you know, various moments as I was reading it where I'm just like, but wait a second, that's not how it happened. But then I had to t stop and take a, take, you know, take a step back and remember that we're looking at two different histories. And when you're looking at the reasons for why this distortion happened, that is, that's a fascinating study all yeah. the reasons the why's like why would arius calpurnius piso want to do something like this what would motivate him to do something like this over a period of time yeah and that i think only reveals itself if you understand the culture the religions how they worked what was at play the jewish roman war um there's these actual events that happened that we know happened, but yeah. it's it's the events surrounding these events that have been sort of changed, right? And that's that's what well, the they've, uh, they've not well they've kind of I would say they're there. The information is there. It just it's not it it's not given in a way that's that that's obvious, um, mm. basically. Um, the, the the information's there. It's just not. It's not been given in the history books as, as this is what happened. They, they've told that the historians have told what's happened, but they just they haven't told it in a forthright way. They've kind of they, they've used um, alternate names for mm. certain individuals, but the only way you understand that is by obviously in my case learning from past historians um and then taking what they've written and what they've said about um bogus names and just making sure that what they say about the um the, the changes in letters and the rules of the different languages to create mm -hmm. new names just mm -hmm. making sure that that is accurate that we have evidence of that taking place and when you have evidence of that taking place then you know that okay there's no reason they could not do it for this so then then you kind of push on and say okay so this guy his father is known as this guy but this historian says that that name's fake then so then you kind of analyze the mm -hmm. name and then you kind of you connect the dots so then you, you can kind of start to see the other history that's buried underneath um so it's um th the history is there it's just incredibly difficult 
to decipher. Right. And I, I think it's, you know, when you consider the impact of Christianity and you consider um, how it has been the driving force of empires, it makes more sense in terms of how it was so successful. Yeah. Like that was the sort of one of the questions that I had. Okay. Like if, if, if it's, if it's all sh- bullshit, then yeah. why was it so successful? How has it yeah. continued to be so, so successful? And this is one of those soul searching things that I had to do for myself is, you know, kind of looking at the past 2000 years of history and seeing what the impact of Christianity has often been more often than not. The the gospels have been spread at the point of a sword as opposed mm. to, you know, something that has been benign and, and just uh, um, entirely altruistic. Although I do believe that there are people who are like that, who, who, who do take it in its, um, uh, in its best form and are not aware of how this has been a tool that has been used by people in positions of power for the last 2000 years. And they're playing from a different playbook than the average person who is practicing just as a norm, you know, going to church on Sunday every week kind of thing. Well, that's the, that's the difficulty um, I face because in the beginning I wasn't actually I, I was debating with myself whether to write the book because th- there's two sides to it. As, as you've just said, there's two sides. You have the sort of the the, the controlling power hungry side, the political side. But then mm-hmm. on the other hand, you've got people that follow this religion and don't do any harm and it kind of makes them better people. So it's kind of wrestling with um how to kind of present the information in a way that's saying look you can still mm-hmm. you know follow that if it makes you a better person um and i suppose that's kind of why i i was very conscious of writing it from an historical point of view because history is controversial um there's many things in history that have um been believed by you know historians to not have happened um you know the, uh, troy is one of them um and so i suppose at some point for something to change it you've kind of got to um you know present an uncomfortable truth um and like as long as that you know as long as that truth is backed up by credible evidence um from primary sources and not you know like sort of manipulated um but yeah it's a difficulty because um i do have people that um in my family who are religious um and you know the nicest people in the world so um yeah that that was a battle for me at the start just kind of whether to write it or not Mm -hmm. because it's like just even in doing this podcast i i know that it's going to be controversial right because there's a certain amount of people who just in the investigation you're already um crossing the line (laughs) just in just in asking questions and sort of like you know um, because that unfortunately to some degree is baked into the pie where doubting itself is you know it's a it's a a trick of the devil right right um 
that is not my intent. You know, the interesting thing is for me, it's like, uh, it's like Jesus says, the truth will set you free. Right. So that to me is kind of a bit of a, of a joke in this is that, um, it is the pursuit of truth that has led me to ask these questions and to have this conversation with you. So for anybody who might be listening, who this is a sensitive subject, this is about discerning the truth, wherever it may lead. And, um, this is, uh, um, I guess it's about sort of let going of letting go of, um, preconceptions. I think that's the, that's, that's a difficult one because I know, um, it's going to be, it's very tough for, um, those who are religious to let go of the preconceptions of how they think, um, this religion began, but I've also encountered it, um, within academia, um, that there's a lot of academics who are incredibly smart and very sober thinkers but even then they themselves they can't seem to get past the preconceptions of a kind of conspiracy of you know you know the royals creating something like this to kind of deceive the masses that is they don't like the to they don't like the thought of that Mm -hmm. so it's the the getting past the preconceptions is the hard part i think Yeah, I think that there's a lot of people who have a default position of they believe that Jesus existed. They just, you know, there's some disagreement on the truth of of who he was. And and for a certain amount of people, I think they think, oh, he was just a um, he was a, a wise teacher. Um, and they, they exaggerated about the things that he was capable of doing and stuff like that. Um, but what you're pointing at is, is not that it's that there was never really a specific individual that, um, as described in the gospel, um, there were people that he was based on. Am I correct in that? Yeah. 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 Uh, um, yeah. I mean, this again, is kind of where diff- it kind of gets it's, it's, into, it's a like, tricky one. Yeah. It, you kind of have the, to know more about, yeah. like, if you read the book and you know sort of what Pizzo was up to and his story, like his life story and how it dovetails with the information in the Gospels and the information that's in the writing of Josephus and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Then it's like you've got the Rosetta Stone, right? It starts to make sense. You can see how yeah. this connects to this. But just getting to that point, <laughs> just getting to the point to where you can say, okay, I I get it. The, there was never really a guy named Jesus. Um, the, the character of Jesus was created. And, and th- this is kind of where I feel like there's another interesting discussion to happen. It's like the pieces that went into the pie, you know, like what yeah. fascinates me, what's interesting to me is at some point the amount of information that the the Pizos and the Herodians and the Flavians were sifting through and, and cobbling together and, and doing it over a period of time. Yeah. Um, the, the, the sophistication that 
that they must have had in terms of their knowledge of other religions. And, and I think this is kind of what's important to understand in this is Christianity is like this, this merging of ideas that are found in Judaism, in um, Greek traditions, which of course are connected to Egyptian traditions, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. It, it is, I would describe it as the Romans attempted to take bits and pieces from all of these different traditions and whip them all together into something that they could call their own. Yeah, they wanted to create something that was um, universal. Yeah. Um, and I guess they wanted to a- appeal to as many beliefs and as many people as possible. Hmm. Um, I, I, I think that obviously the the first intention was to kind of um, replace, obviously, the Old Testament uh, um, law, which was uh, propelling, you know, the, the, the common people to fight against them. Hmm. Um, this is something uh, yeah. that Atwell kind of talks about that I thought was interesting, and you allude to it as well, and that was the uh, Roman fascination with the Jewish religion that um there was Mm. uh aspects of uh there was like um jewish mysticism was becoming very popular or at this point was very popular and yeah i think i think a majority of people had kind of gone over to the jewish fault and i think that's what was um that's what scared the aristocracy because Obviously, if, um, I think the, sol- um, the soldiers in the Roman army had um, gone over to Judaism as well. So I think that for their point of view, um, at the beginning as well as later, um, they, they were obviously fearful that, um, as, as I say in the book, and as you rightly said, um, you know, if, if enough people had gone over to the other side, then they would have been in big trouble. Um, because then they wouldn't have they wouldn't have agreed with what the aristocracy were asking them to do, so they would have rebelled and said, "No, I want my freedom, I want my rights." And um, because obviously, you know, the Roman Empire was a was a slave empire. Um, it was built on slavery, sure. um, and that that's not a controversial um, view. That's backed up by evidence. Right. Um, so, um, and then obviously later on, we got Constantine who. Uh, you know, uh, sort of brought the religion back from the dead, so to speak. Hmm. Um, and instead of um, the magistrate telling people what to do, the, the Constantine kind of brought it in that, you know, God had told you this is your place in life and do as you're told. Hmm. Um, you'll be fine, just do as you're told and you'll have salvation in heaven and whatnot. Um, but of course, it didn't happen overnight but um you could see where he was going was that it was a political move to kind of gain power because why wouldn't he if if Mm. the aristocracy were in control of this religion it it made a good political sense to bring it back and say right you know this is it (laughs) and the flavians were like they're i I, i'm hoping to kind of clarify some of the details here but the the flavians they're reason for wanting to create this religion was had a lot to do with solidifying their power 
as the new emperors, right? As an as a new dynasty that they were trying to establish. That to me, you know, when you like when you look um, at the end of no, yeah, because I kind of see it as like the you know the end of the the Caesarian line ends with Nero, and so the Flavians yeah. they uh, their their reason um, Vespasian's reason for wanting to have a new religion would be about establishing their divinity, their dynasty. But maybe uh, correct me if I'm wrong in that regard. Um, the, well, the way I understand it is that um, obviously Josephus, uh, we're told that Josephus got the name Flavius because he was adopted by Vespasian hmm. um, after Vespasian, um, you know, sort of went soft on him. So right. to speak, um, right. which, you know, from other president examples, just is, is ridiculous. Right. Um, this is know, looking the, at it from the Atwell theory for anybody who's who's listening, right? Yeah. Well, it's looking at it from the Atwell theory, but it's also looking at it from the other information, which, um, you know, I can understand why, but it's been ignored. The 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 Personian information as well. Mm. Um, when you look into um, uh, as I've, uh, I did in a, a video, um, the ancestry of Vespasian. Um, when you look into Vespasian's ancestry, he is related through his brother to the Capernaus Pisa family. Mm-hmm. So, because um, Vespasian is related to the Capernaus Pisa family, we know the Capernaus Pisa family through Aris Piso's mother was a descendant of um, the Herodian royal family. Mm. But we also know that, uh, well, we don't know, I know, and people can read about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I got, yeah, I got backtrack sometimes. Um, it, what's been found out is that Vespasian was a descendant of Herod the Great as well. Mm. But, of course, the, 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 the ancient historians wouldn't have wanted did that to be have been known um he was vespasian was um a descendant of one of um herod's uh grandchildren i think it, he was uh, um there's a lot of information going on yet um the guy's name in history is um herod of chalcis um herod king of chalcis but his other name was uh herod polio now, from that connection, um, I won't go through it all on this, um, is on the video, it is in the book as well. Um, from that connection, um, using the techniques that they did use of like sort of um, exchanging letters, um, for instance, I and A could be exchanged as we get in like Miriam and Mariam. Um, they obscured the genealogical connection between by changing letters and basically just hiding information is all scattered around um but when it pulls together you realize that it couldn't have happened any other way so um vespasian's um motivation for becoming emperor and supporting the author in the authorship of the creation of the new testament would have been a kind of mutual family um motivation because they were they all had a connection to the herodian family who were being um 
overtaken by the Pharisees, mm. which they were against because they didn't want to stop the institution of slavery and they didn't want a more de- democratic government. Right. They wanted to keep their lifestyle. Mm. So there was there was a mutual um, want to right. you know stop it. So yeah. Well, <laughs> so. What I'm going to do here is like, just for anybody, uh, just to give some context here. Yeah. So in this period of time, what you have is, um, is different people who are in charge. And we know a certain amount of these people from the Bible. However, there are a lot of names in the Bible that have been fabricated, uh, the New Testament specifically. And we can understand where this narrative takes place in time because of where the story is set, et cetera, et cetera. And this is the history that most people are kind of pulling from, is they're pulling from this um, fabricated history through essentially uh, zero AD, the birth of Christ, up until like about, I mean, it's really up until like Constantine, there's just a a certain amount of fudgery going on, right? Um, Yeah, it's a long period. Yeah, yeah, and, and trying to understand what was happening, uh, during this time there's certain tent poles that you can kind of in your mind that you can kind of grab on especially if you understand the narrative in the bible the new testament however there are certain things that you just have to kind of throw out the window because unless you understand the agenda of the people who were writing the gospels and what was going on at the time then mm. it's all very um it's all very like it's a riddle right it's it's just yeah. riddles within riddles within riddles and one thing i would say henry is that a certain amount of this information is very difficult to understand when you're dealing with it in english i find um because mm-hmm. like for example I'll use the name jesus right <clears throat> the yeah. name jesus is is an, an anglicized version of the original name which is uh, i'll pronounce it jesus um jesus or you know there's there's different there's however you know it kind of sounds um more like in spanish jesus uh right (laughs) because it wasn't j-e-s-u-s it's it's more like i-e-s-u-s it's kind of of like um yoshua or yeshua right thing yeah. But then it's but then it's it's the the, the different variation. variation of it, right? <laughs> yeah. Um but this is where if you understand about the Pisos and the Herodians and you understand the information that they were sitting on as aristocrats, what I think is is interesting in this is the um sophistication of understanding yeah because they do understand numerology they understand astrology they understand um uh 
Egyptian traditions, Greek traditions, Jew, you know, Judaism. There, there's a very uh, deep understanding of, of different things that is obviously that they're pulling from in order to yeah. be able to bring all of this information together in the way that they do. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and it's, it's uh, in, in order to understand how they were able to create the story of Jesus – and why I think it's so it has been so powerful over the years is because the Jesus story does pull from so many different uh, traditions. Yeah. Um, if you know, if you know ancient mythology, um, if you know things about Horus and you know things about Dionysus and, uh, you know, the kind of different um, stories and you kind of see how these things fit into Christianity and and what Christianity was trying to do was Mm -hmm. trying to take these traditions and kind of repackage them, right? So one of the early first things that you kind of see is you see an attempt with Christianity to change some of these temples, right. To, uh, to transform some of these, uh, pagan temples and turn them into Christian temples. Yeah. Um, yeah they're basically, yeah. Transforming them. Yeah. There's, uh, something that's been, been, I wanted to bring up to you. Um, I most very recently read this book, uh, the immortality key by Brian Morescu. Are you familiar with it at all? At all? Um, no, I have some, no, I'll, um, I'll have a look at it. Well, I, I'm going to uh, bring up something in your book that connects with something in his book that I thought okay. was very interesting. Uh, because basically what he does in that book is he he just focuses on um, the sacrament part of the Christian religion and how it was he- how it heavily borrowed from Dionysian traditions. Um yeah. Uh, the, the, the worship of Dionysus or Bacchus. Um, and, yeah. um, he goes into deep detail about what the worship of Dionysus was all about and, and that it was heavily focused in pharmacology okay. and that, um, early Christian sacraments were, that were using spiked wine. Okay. That that they weren't using just wine, that they were using wine with psychedelics in it. And that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So I've been trying to kind of put your book together with kind of what he's talking about. And one of the things that that um, stood out to me in your book was when you talk about uh, the name that Piso died and was buried with, and that he uh, was buried um, with the name cool. Bassus. Quadratus Bassus, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. And you make a connection between that and uh, Dionysus that um, uh, he perceived himself as being Dionysus or or being um, connected to Dionysus in some form or fashion. Um, it seems to be the, the case, yeah. It seems to be um, he looks to have saw himself as multiple gods that's what it seemed like okay. um obviously sure. that's what roman emperors considered themselves gods anyway mm-hmm. um again that's not a controversial view mm. um so yeah i mean uh, yeah the, the guy arius piso he he does seem to have 
associated himself with many gods when it suited him for a particular mm. message, I guess is the right explanation, um, or a particular um, alias name. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he had he had so many alias names. I mean, he must have, he they must have written them down. I mean, how they could remember all those names, I don't know. Mm. Um, but yeah, I'm just trying to kind of look up because it's been a long time since I've uh, yeah, a me, particular part. <laughs> I have it written down here, so let me see if I can if I can find it really quick. Uh, but uh, the re- yeah, so what he talks about in his book is he talks here we go the name Bacchus may have been used because he saw himself as Bacchus or Dionysius the god of the vine as in Acts Jesus says he is the true vine and his father is the vine dresser so in uh in his book the immortality he what Brian talks about is before Christianity the Dionysian sacrament was very similar to the Christian sacrament um, yeah. it's almost the same thing. Basically, the only thing they really do is they change the imagery. And what he talks about is he talks about this ancient religion called Eleusis, and that it was all based on Dionysian sacraments, and that um, it was essentially that they would uh, drink spiked wine, and they would yeah. trip, you know, um, and uh, that um, it was like these let's say guided trips, you know, like you went to your, your local temple and you had, uh, you know, the local temple of Dionysus and, and you tripped and you had a vision of, yeah. of the gods. Um, now what I think is interesting is I, it, to me, it seems like it's like these guided trips, right? It's like you're, you're tripping balls, but then you got some dude next to you who's telling you the God Dionysus is coming. He, can you feel him? You know, like, and so yeah. I kind of see the same thing happening with Christianity. I see the the early um, the early services or whatever you might call them was they were tripping to this new God that they yeah. had created. They they had created this um, this idea of the Son of God, you know, and and. So I, 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 and and it was all just borrowing from previous traditions, right? So, but I mean, it's kind of just to put a a period on it. Basically, what he's saying is that the early Christian traditions were heavily seeped in the use of psychedelics, and that that was a part of the the wine, the you know the the blood in and the body of Christ. The blood of Christ was this Dionysian wine. It was wine that was spiked with psychedelics, and then they would have visions of Christ or whatever, you know. Yeah, I mean. I mean, we know that um, there was obviously uh, temple oracles that people went to see, and they um, they sat over um, vapors and they breathed in the vapors and had sure. their um, quote unquote vision. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, I mean, if that is the the case with um, what you just said, if if they did drink and they were like and they were they were drugged, I mean, I'm not going to so that's what happened but I, I can see it definitely happening mm. um and then double that with them being read too um because they, they wouldn't have read the scriptures themselves um mm. so if they were drugged and then read too um over say, say a period of time i could imagine them you know slowly coming around to 
um, the, 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 the new law or religion. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that, with that understanding, we've got to be careful because um, we know that um, obviously they, they created churches in um, Asia, like um, you know, Antioch and um, Ephesus, um, places like that. Uh, which were obviously known for um, brothels and prostitution and vice. Mm. And so, um, and uh, we, we learn about what the churches were because of the New Testament it actually tells us. Um, and um, interestingly enough, which I've got to do a little bit more or a lot more investigation into, is that the the, the travels of Pliny the Younger mm. um, parallel the travels of Paul. So I've got to do a bit more research into that. Quick um, question about Pliny. Was yeah. was the original name Plinios? Um, Pliny, uh, Gaius Plinius Secundus, yeah. Okay, and Pliny, Pliny is, is just kind of an anglicized... Uh, yeah, it's pretty much okay. just a translated name for it. Okay. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. Yeah. That's um, kind of what I mean. There's some things that they're somewhat confusing because they get translated in English and then it's like <laughs> yeah. it gets muddled that much more, you know, like and you're kind of like Pliny the Younger seems like such a such a like something out of the Canterbury Tales or something like I don't know. You know what I mean? So it's it's a little. Yeah. So the fact that his name was Plinios, I'm like, oh, that makes more sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, but, um, uh, but yeah, I mean, going back to, um, people converting through, you know, um, hallucinogenics, um, we have to be careful that it, we read that there was trouble with the churches in Asia. Um, mm. and, um, right. You know, you can because they were getting drunk on the wine, right? Um, no, I, I believe um, I, I've got a, a video coming out soon about Constantine, and part of it um, includes um, what, um, um, why the church was dead, in a sense, until Constantine started to revive it, um, because the churches were in Asia, and then, from what I believe again, based on the evidence, is that they were using, uh, people weren't converting to the religion. Hmm. Um, It wasn't becoming successful. So they used um, what had been used in the Jewish temple and in other places. Um, uh, But they basically used like uh, temple prostitution. Hmm. Um, And there's evidence of this um, by numerous past scholars of little chambers um, where you would go and you know join basically there's various words for it um so they join up and they'd you know do the deed um or you know as a sexual rich as a religious sexual ritual mm-hmm. um so what there apparently there's archaeological evidence from the early churches that there was um small chambers built into the converted um churches that uh circle paul uh, was making and they were resorting to um, sex mm. basically to get people in um, and <laughs> the evidence for that is um, that there's actual um, like you've said um, multiple layers within the New Testament so on one layer you kind of um, I don't know have a 
passage saying, you know, he she um, covered my feet with fluid, um, mm. et cetera, et cetera. But huh. when you realize that feet and hands in his passages are euphemisms for for the phallus, the penis, mm. Mm. then you read it in a completely different way. Right. And we know that that, that um, the feet and the hands were synonymous with the, the penis and the vagina. Um, so and so you can't really get away from it because you know that that's a part of it. Right. So this kind of goes um, back into there's a certain amount that would make a lot more sense if you lived in the time and were familiar oh, yeah, with yeah. the the yeah. Um, it this again, and it's it's where things get that much more obscured when you get to the English translation, later translations of the Bible, because yeah. now so much more of the meaning gets that much more obscured. Exactly. But its ultimate intent, which is used to pacify the masses, it's still being used for that, right? Um, you're, yeah, you're, I mean, I guess it's kind of, I guess it's kind of, it it, it got easier didn't it? I mean, you, you have like sort of um, uh, Luther that uh, uh, translated the Bible right. um, because the people couldn't understand the Latin and he wanted people to be able to have a personal touch with the word of God. Yes. Um, and that became controversial because the, the, the church no longer no longer had control of the, the word of God and the printing right. press came in. Hmm. Um, I mean, if you think about it in a way that the church leaders were trying to spread the word, Mm-hmm. of God to as many people as they could it makes no sense that they didn't like that the printing press was invented and it could produce bibles sure <laughs> you know, you'd be thinking well you know I can spread the word of God to many people oh no don't do that <laughs> we, we don't yeah. want people knowing what's actually in there um, and yet ironically it has continued to be successful but it's just transformed right it's morphed into something different right that's what uh, martin luther did and then it's um it's interesting you know that's that's kind of i i was raised protestant pentecostal okay um there's so many different variations of christianity Yeah. But the one that uh, that I was specifically raised in, I mean, it's just I think about it now and it's sort of surreal how uh, baked in um, um, Christianity is with Americana. And um, it's something that growing up in California, um, churches are still thriving, right? Christianity is still thriving, it's, but it's thriving in this okay. is sort of new form. Um, yeah. Now. Things have changed, though. That's yeah. Having said what I just said, things have changed, and and uh, the reason I say that is, you know, we were talking before about like the grassroots people, people who um, they they altruistically approach this. They don't have bad intentions. They use it as as something because um, it makes them feel good and whatever. But uh, in the last few years the impact of Christianity has become that much more noticeable, I think, because of everything that's happened in the States with Trump and the GOP and everything. And um, for me, that was a a significant part of my awakening, you might say. Um, You know, I I moved away from the church a long time before that ever happened. I'm living in Canada now, but um, uh, it's one of these things for me. I had 
pushed my pull, uh, pushed myself far enough away from my connections to the church to that when everything that happened with Trump went down, I could really see in real time how Christianity and the gospels are used by people in power to manipulate them. Yeah, yeah, I and, mean, yeah, like you say, yeah, it's, it's been going uh, on for centuries. Right. And, yeah. and, and the person of Trump, to me, you know, him, like just that moment, right, where he's holding the Bible up in front of the church, I, to me, it's just the perfect example of how power uses um, just that iconography, right? Um, yeah. He has he has no interest in the Bible whatsoever. You know what I mean? Like he's not a moral man himself, but he understands that he can use the Bible as a, as a way of he's a great mind manipulating people. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, and, I don't know much, um, obviously, about him, but from what I've, um, especially when he was um, in office um, um, over obviously based in the UK, we we saw some uh some footage of his um, um rallies and and speeches and um i mean over in in over here i mean we didn't really take him seriously i don't think um none of my friends did um i'm not really um uh any political side or anything to do with um the us because you know it's not um my my country right. um but i could tell um, that he he was a good manipulator for those that were easily manipulated. Mm-hmm. Um, for those that weren't, you could see it yeah. in the papers on social media that they just thought he was just um, insane. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's you know it, it it it's weird. It's like sort of a clash of um, I don't want to say intelligence, but a clash of um, ideology, I suppose. Sure. It's a little bit of both, yeah. But yeah, I, I, I uh, you know, I, I saw it unravel in real time, and it was something that for me was kind of just surreal over the days and months to kind of see everything happening because it really showed me how easy it would have been for me if I was a young kid growing up in this environment to be waving the MAGA flag. You know, yeah. um, I'm well past that at this point. But I was able to see it. Uh, one of the things that happened that really showed me the kind of individual he was, was he went to a very prominent um, Christian uh, speaker, psychologist, uh, is a guy named Dr. James Dobson, who a very popular radio show for many years, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and Trump went to this guy and accepted Jesus into his heart. And um, okay. I, I doing the bunny ears quotes here for anybody <laughs> who's who's watching or listening rather, um, because I saw it for what it was, and it was just uh, political maneuvering. You know what I mean? And I was like, mm-hmm. okay, is this really? Am I really seeing what I think I'm seeing? Does this guy really think that he can hoodwink the entire Christian community into thinking that he's actually a Christian? I mean, this is the celebrity uh, apprentice guy for Pete's sake, right? Yeah, um, I, I did watch a few of them. He was able to do it. That's what yeah. was crazy. Like, I'm like, wait a second. He's actually doing it. People are actually believing his bullshit. Yeah. And I could see it happening, unfolding. And, and then the more that it got to the point to where it was just like he could say anything. 
and yeah. people were he had and people just looked the other way well it's just it, it, i mean what you just said about um people believing that trump was actually a christian mm. um you know uh, i don't mean to interrupt but um it 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 kind of it reminds me of um uh, emperor constantine when he had when he had his supposed vision exactly and then man, i thought the same thing man yeah and then it's kind of i mean like sort of the, the i mean it uh, i only say it because uh obviously i'm just finishing off the the video at the moment um it should be up soon um but i can't understand why um very very clued on people um with, you know with um formal educations in history and researching history and you know they're not stupid but they they look at um constantine's conversion as being legitimate has you know really believing in christ and it's like well right i can see where they're coming from but then right i can see the political side and mm. it's like it, the only the only evidence or the only kind of um i suppose narrative that we're told that constantine turned over to christianity was through a vision and it's like right. really Right. I mean, uh, exactly. I mean, for me, it's that that the, the vision was just a convincer story. Yeah, one hundred percent. And I can't understand why people don't don't kind of see it as that. I mean, mm. I'm not telling people what to think, but like politically, <laughs> you know, I, I, I strangely enough, I think it has something to do with sports. Okay. I know this sounds weird, but we, I, I think it has something to do with with um, like sports and your own team like you know what i mean and, and cheering for your own team and feeling like you're on the winning team right. so yeah when yeah. so when constantine shows up and he's like hey guys i've got a, a new mascot we're all going to be wearing these really cool uniforms and we got this like cool cross and you know and then we're all going to be going out and uh fighting for the empire in the name of christ right and everybody's yeah. like right on yeah this is cool yeah no i like this right it's, you know what I mean? There's like something, yeah. there's something about it. It's, it's like when well, you I look think at it, the Crusaders, you know what I mean? It's almost like, uh, like, like, um, like rugby uh, players team, ready team to go mentality. out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. It's, well, I mean, you've got a part, you've got a part of that. And I think, um, that can be say related, um, on the, the, I would say, um, commoner level at that time. So mm. if um, everyone else is kind of doing it, then commoners will say, OK, because um, there was like um, a lot of uh, trouble before uh, Constantine came in, like wars uh, and um, et cetera. Uh, but um, Constantine um, won, um, uh, won many battles and he also uh, um, he, he adopted the, the Sol Invictus um, god as his kind of like protector or going with the emperor it's on his coins he he had like mars and uh jupiter on his coins as well but the main one particularly was sol invictus and is a sun mm. god mm. so um but when you kind of so, so you can kind of see him taking the sun god and then it's not a big jump to son of god right. and him him being in control of the religion which he made himself in control of it. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, you know, like uh, people say that he made it the official religion, but it wasn't him, uh, it was Theodosius. Um, but 
that's a good starting point for that. But then obviously, if you're into the subject and you're researching more, like um, like I said earlier, um, and you trace his an his ancestry back, he um, was related to Vespasian's family, and he was also related to the uh, Copernicus Piso's family. Hmm. So when you have that connection as well, you can see him um, thinking he's in a position now, or when he was, to think, right, okay, I have this scripture, because they would have had copies of the scripture somewhere. Um, I have this scripture, and I'm going to unite these the, the, the pagan religions, the disparate mm -hmm. pagan religions, and unite it under one religion. Mm -hmm. um, and you can you can see his motive for doing that. Um, I mean, I, I could see the political political motive for doing that. If, sure. it was a, if it was a religion that you could control, why yeah. wouldn't you attempt to do it? Right. Well, it makes sense. Like when you think of paganism, polytheism and monotheism and you kind of see the idea of the emperor, um, you know, the 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 whole um, crux of the conflict with the, the the Jewish people was they wanted them to worship the emperor and mm. the Jewish people were very resistant to it. Right. Yeah. So by by essentially creating this sort of. God that, OK, you can worship this God and we've created a God for you that you can worship that you should. But essentially, while you're worshiping that God, you're really worshiping us. You're really worshiping yeah. the emperor, right? Yeah, um, exactly. And that's that's what we see very much so with Constantine. Um, yeah. The the attempt happened. But he made himself the leader of the church, didn't he? Mm -hmm. uh, basically, was um, he the pope? Was he considered a pope? Uh, I believe he was. Yeah, um, I got the information written down. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I believe he was. Yeah, I really would like part of what i'm kind of going for here is i almost want to visualize this in my mind as though it was like an amazing uh, television series where you're watching the life of of arius and you're seeing the different things that he kind of goes through and how that eventually gets him to the point to where he creates this josephus character and he creates this jesus character and he is is creating all of these characters and, and writing under all these uh different aliases and everything it's it's really um quite mad when you think about it um it's it's amazing um to some degree but yeah. uh when you, if you could see that and you could see, you know, what, what, what I would like to see is, is the gospel, the, the Q document first being written and what did that look like? Mm. You know, what did it look like before, um, before the different details were added later on? And, yeah. and, and, and. Well, I think that, I think the Q yeah. document, um, from, um, evidence was um merely well i, I say merely it, it, i think it was it was a letter um because obviously we have the connection between um seneca's writing and the new testament um and it, uh, there, there's a letter um from lucilius which is basically another variation of the name lucius mm -hmm. um writing to his friend um, Seneca, or a new book by Lucius, I think it's called. Mm. And 
when you read what Seneca says about it, you can tell that it's kind of the beginnings of like a rough draft copy of the first kind of gospel, the, the mm. tone of it. Um, that's what I read into it. Um, what um, one I think one thing that confused me or a question that I had when when I was uh, looking at this was, yeah. wasn't the gospel story, um, like if you look at the Atwell theory, wasn't the gospel story basically like uh, a code for the military campaign of the Flavians when they destroyed, um, no, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so how, so, so yeah, I guess yeah. it's like what, so that, so I guess just my curiosity would be what, what, what did that original document look like? Like essentially it was the, the prototype for Mark essentially. Right. Yeah. And then yeah. at some point that Mark came in and, and all the extra details were added. So I guess yeah. the, the question I might, maybe I'm answering my own question in that at some point when Mark was finalized, um, the, the extra details came through in terms of um, creating this perception of a prophecy and the prophecies of Jesus that match with the military campaign of the Flavians. Am I getting yeah. this right? Yeah. Yeah. That's um, yeah. You pretty much hit a nail on the head. Um, so then with, so the, then with was... the Flavian, I mean, what the trouble, um, I think with Joseph Atwell's book, um, he, I believe, he didn't go further than the parallels. He 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 delved a little bit into um, the meanings behind certain words. Mm -hmm. um, uh, for instance, pierce the bowels, kind of thing, um, with the um, uh, Mary um, killing her child um, or eating her child. Um, but what Atwood doesn't seem to have done is um, gone more into the kind of the nomen nomenclature process of what was happening in terms of the names and the, and the um, what's the right word for it? The kind of the alteration of the names from um, ancestor worship, which is what the Romans did. It, they took names from their ancestors and made different names um so with the uh jesus parallels with the um flavian campaign in judea we um from the evidence we know that um this individual arius was there for mm. part of it i believe he was there at the beginning and then i believe he was the one who was called um Cestius uh, Gallus. Um, it might it might have been under a different alias name, but he took money from the temple. In what capacity um, would he have been there? He would have probably been um, procreator. I think he was. Um, he would probably also have been a general as well for the okay. Roman army. Um, because I um, as, a, when, as a procurator was that like essentially he was stationed there. He was stationed. Yeah, it was kind of like an overseer okay. of an area. Of Syria, and then once yeah. once the Flavians came rolling in, he joined them. I imagine. Yeah, was it so, something of the sort. Um, okay. So when, uh, so, so when the trouble started, and the um, the 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 Pisos um, and the Herodians and Flavians decided that something needed to be done, um, they obviously started to work on the the New Testament. 
Um, and um, I think because they wanted to quell the rebellion, but Nero, um, he seems to have not wanted to do anything about it. He seems to have been sympathetic to their cause because mm. Nero, Nero wasn't a kind of, he wasn't a fighter. He was a, he was a creative person. Right. Um, so in, in the gospels, we can see the evidence that they, it looks like they writ the gospels as acts and scenes to appeal to Nero. So they, it looks like they would have taken that to Nero to get his permission to carry it on. Interesting. Um, and something is even Nero didn't want to do it. He he was mm. against it, um, or his wife Poppy may have been against it. Mm. Um, and then later and so, they were able to convince Vespasian. Is that is that essentially um, what you're pointing at? Uh, yeah, in a in a way. Again, it comes back to. Um, Nero said no, um, and it looks like they carried on creating the scriptures behind Nero's back anyway. Right. And then there was the Personian conspiracy. Right. To um, and they were and they were exiled and they were exiled. And one of the people um, recorded in history as being exiled was a um, I may be saying this wrong, uh, Assassinus Petus, um, and that's a name that the Pisos used. Now, it says that Petus was exiled to Syria to act as governor. And while he was there, we don't we hear a little bit about him in one part of uh, Josephus, you know, quote unquote Josephus. Um, and then Arius writes as Josephus and he puts himself in his different names. Um, one of them being Cestus Gallius, goes to the temple, takes money from the temple. And then I believe he incites like a riot. And then I believe Nero exiled him again to Pannonia, <laughs> um, which is like the other side of um, Italy. Mm. So far away from um, Syria. And then I believe that because the uh, Pharisees and the people were getting out of control, Nero had to do something, I guess. Mm. Um, and so then he... He entrusted uh, Emperor Vespasian, who we're told was a beekeeper at this point, um, mm. to go to Syria and put down the revolt. Now, um, I would have thought the reason why Nero did that was because he didn't see any um, danger in getting Vespasian involved. Mm. Um, obviously, you know, there was. Um, this was... Not many yeah. years before, but years before Vespasian would actually become emperor, right? Yeah, yeah, he wouldn't become emperor until um, partway through uh, the, um, the 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 campaign because he, he left for Rome and then left his son Titus in charge mm-hmm. to to bring down to you know to to complete this siege on Judea. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we're told is that. Um, Vespasian's rise to become emperor was because he had the support of the army. Now, that is most likely true. He, he probably was a, a good general mm. um, because the royals were taught how to be generals. You know, they were, they were taught about warfare and tactics. Mm. Um, but what they weren't told, from what I can gather, is that he was of royal blood. Mm. So it wasn't, um, it wasn't a commoner 
coming in and getting the army behind him and then taking the throne. It was a royal being portrayed as a commoner because the soldiers wouldn't have known he was a royal. Hmm. Um, so he was portrayed as a commoner. The, the soldiers seemed to have got behind him. And then, as we said, the, the rest is um, history or whitewashed history. Hmm. Right. Yeah. This is it for for anybody again anybody who is not entirely familiar with the history that we're talking about here. One what what is very significant about this is we're talking about a moment in time when the Romans essentially obliterated the Jewish nation. And for anybody who you know doesn't understand sort of some of the context of what's going on right now with Israel and Palestine and all that kind of stuff, a lot of the the um, details actually point back to this moment in time. This is a moment in time where Rome goes into Jerusalem and destroys the temple. And that temple to this day, if you go to Jerusalem, it's still there. And that's where the wailing wall is. And that's where, you know, devout Jews will go and pray. And, and yeah. um, from that point, 70, uh, 70 CE, right? <clears throat> is that yeah. Yeah, up oh, until yeah, I use seventy C. Okay, um, I, I I know for for me like just that right there, trying to get used to uh, not saying B C and A D, but uh, you know C E and uh, B C E. You could yeah, you could say I, I just say it for personal preference. I mean, it it, it don't make a difference really. Um, there's there's not to see because I I almost feel like there's some difference in um well i don't want to go too deep down that rabbit hole uh <laughs> but it's just an example though it's an example of of sort of this uh like academia versus um religious uh history right um, yeah most people who ha ha were raised with christian religious history usually define everything as bcad and if you are looking at yeah. things from a purely academic perspective then you're probably going to say cebce yeah, um probably. and that was just something that you know I, I needed to wrap my head around at some point <laughs> yeah. um but uh let's see i i lost my point um what was i talking about uh, before that the, um what we're talking about to the destruction yeah. of yeah the destruction yeah. of the temple and everything so so this is one of the reasons why it's it's very it's it's become um that much more interesting to kind of look at this it's it's looking at this specific time in history and answering a lot of questions in terms like where does so much anti-semitism come from and um you know how did this horrible thing happen to the uh, to the jewish nation and and how does all of that history sort of feed into what is happening over there right now yeah um and and i mean when you kind of think about how you know israel was uh um you know made a nation back again what was it 69 i think it was or 49 something like that um that th th this is one of the reasons why i have an interest in this because you know devout christians will point to that as being uh an indication of a prophecy fulfilled you know they believe that that jesus will come back um once israel becomes a nation again so you know there's just there's little things in in christianity uh popular christianity that uh, are popularly popularly believed and a lot of it feeds into um 
things like the left behind series, you know, the belief in the rapture and the antichrist and kind of all of these things. And, um, it's, it's quite amazing to see how much has come from what was originally written in the gospels and in the letters of Paul and then into the book of revelation and how it has had a huge impact on what people believe and uh, just to to put a point on this and and what i'm sort of seeing is like self-fulfilling prophecy yeah where when you have enough people who believe something they they can actually make things happen and um as as one of the downsides i see of fundamental christianity is this belief that the earth is doomed to destruction and that there's nothing we can really do about it. And at some point, Jesus is going to come back and clean up the mess. Um, well, I, suppose the, uh, I suppose if um, scientists are correct, then the earth is doomed for destruction if the sun well, expands. But, yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, hopefully that doesn't yeah. happen for a couple billion <laughs> Not years, for a right? Billion years, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I want to um, next deal. <laughs> but it, it is sort of interesting from that perspective when you kind of look at just, even if you aren't looking at the... the um, chaos described in the book of revelation uh, you just consider what we as human beings have gone through you know through uh ice ages and and um yeah different uh, um, extinction level events that have happened um the book of revelation is in some degree is sort of like a, a almost like a horror story of all of that stuff happening right well, um, yeah, I mean, I think the reason, well, based on, again, on the evidence, the reason why um, the book of Revelation appears to be a horror story is because it's it, um, the individual wrote it because he was, um, basically, he was he was pissed off. Right. Um, so the son he of Piso, ba- right? Uh, yeah, his name in um, the historical record um, appears as uh, Julius Severus or Julius Servianus, hmm. um, and he was the uh, brother-in-law of Emperor Hadrian. Uh, um, and so his his story briefly was that he'd kind of he'd been loyal, he'd been a loyal soldier. Um, it appears he didn't want any part of it. He appears to be a good guy um, because. Uh, the books that um, he writes, um, the, the books of John, um, they're, they're like the shortest books, mm. um, and he can And there's some attacks against. Um, I can't remember the individual's name now. is is a made up name. Um, I think it's attacks against his father being arrogant, um, and so they're, they're the shortest books. And then he appears to have been given permission to kind of write the end of the book. Um, mm. And in Revelation, um, it looks like he starts writing it. And then in Revelation, he's got um, a title. um, They will walk upon um, Jerusalem um, 144 uh, years or whatever it is. Hmm. um, 144 months, I think it is, Hmm. um, which uh, turns out to be like three years, um, which is the exact period that the... um, um, uh, what is it? The 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 um the next Jewish revolt lasted um, that he put down. Uh, hmm. Not the Masada one. It's gone on my head. Now. Hasmonean. Um, no, it's the. Um... <laughs> Sorry, my brain has gone. No, no, this was this after uh, the destruction of the temple. 
This was after, yeah. Okay. Um, it was when, uh, just trying to find it now. I should know it off by heart, but um, it was. Uh, where is it? Um, I'll think about it a minute. It, basically, yeah. Julius put down another revolt, mm-hmm. and he he'd done his job and. In the historical record, it seems like Hadrian um, was going to make him or his son or grandson the next emperor because it, it looks like by, t- by this time, um, uh, Julius was around 90 years old. Um, um, he may have been a little bit younger. And so when Hadrian agreed to let Julius's son or grandson become emperor, um, it must have seemed like everything everything was fine. He was getting his reward for being a loyal soldier and being loyal to the family for writing some books. Um, but then something that's not understood or hasn't been answered in academia is that Hadrian suddenly changed his mind for no reason. Um, on the surface of it, uh, ac- academics don't know the reason for it. And instead he uh, appointed um, Antoninus Pius, the the next heir to the throne um and now it's very you know we can accept why academia doesn't understand why hadrian changed his mind but when you have this he just didn't like him um probably yes um (laughs) he's just like i i don't want you to do it (laughs) it was probably a bit of that i know that um we know that um julius um severus's or servianus or julius piso's brother and sister were still alive um uh, because his sister married emperor trajan's claudia phoebe um or popular platina i think her name is as well and his brother was still alive um who was called justice um and i think he's he is called um anius in the historical record um now they seem to have been more in favor of the christian creation and so I feel that they may have had a hand in convincing Hadrian not to let Julius's sons or grandson become emperor, because if they become emperor, there may have been a risk that they would have put a stop to Christianity. Hmm. That's my thoughts on it, because it because if there's no reason on the surface why Hadrian changed his mind, that's the only reason that I can point to. Hmm. Um but yeah, it's the it was the Bar Kokhba War that he put down. Okay. Sorry, what was that, that one more time? Uh, Bar Kokhba. Right. You know that one? Yeah, I, I recall it uh, from. Uh, I recall the name, but uh, you know, what I mean, it's just like I said, the different <laughs> yeah. uh, the different names. Sometimes you go, you yeah. can't remember what what you're exactly thinking about. Oh, I've, um, got, I've got so many notes, I can't remember everything. Oh, I can imagine, man. Like, honestly, just reading your book, um, you go into a level of detail. You look at the languages in in such a way that, I mean, like I said, I went I went to Bible school for three years and I never yeah. I never put yeah. that uh, much effort into it. So I think one thing that I wanted to uh, to try to see if I could figure out with you is. Yeah a clear understanding of what the early process was in terms of the creation of the gospels 
and how that was um, disseminated, you know, to the population or, or, you know, who was it that was uh, first partaking in this? Was this something that was almost like a cult where it was originally just kind of Pizzo and his family and friends taking part in this? Um, yeah. Uh, how, probably, from what I've, um, from what I understand, again, I, I'm not going to um, sort of claim or say for certain that um, uh, Gaius Plinius Secundus or Pliny the Younger was Paul um, and that he had um, uh, anything to do with it. But from what's been claimed, that's the case that uh, Pliny the Younger um, worked with. Um, Aris Piso um, and his sons when they'd grown up a bit that could help um, I believe that they they would have been the ones that first um, either personally read the books to commoners or slaves hmm. um, or they would have got slave scribes to read it out right. to the other slave scribes uh, or other slaves and commoners um, and that would have probably been um just from deduction um i don't think it would have been in rome itself it may have been in um herculaneum or um pompeii because we know that the um the the pisa family had um a, a, a massive villa in herculaneum um it's been excavated part of it but um they can't go any further because there's buildings on top um but they know um, from when it was first discovered and when the archaeologists built tunnels into the villa, they found um, obviously a, a massive library mm. of um, Greek Greek scrolls and um, other learning. And um, there's a there's a comment from some uh, from a paper, and it says it it looks like um, when uh, Vesuvius erupted that the, the scrolls were kind of um, quickly moved. That was like their main hmm. goal to move the scrolls. Hmm. Um, so my my hypothesis or my conclusion for that is that they either um, went around Herculaneum and tested it out, tested their new religion out to hmm. slaves and commoners either there or in Pompeii, um, just to kind of get a feel for the reception, I guess. Right. Um, because at that point, they wouldn't have had, they wouldn't have known how it was going to how it was going to be received. This is where um, I I start to look at uh, Brian Moresco's research and visualize in my mind how that might have looked like. You know, if you mm. if you had a guy holding a copy of of the gospel or something of the sort right and mm. you were encouraging people to come to your service or whatever it is that you were doing like you know maybe there was a, a somewhere outside or who knows what they were doing yeah. but if there was spiked wine like if they were basically inviting people to their sacrament to partake in their sacrament and if other pe if people were familiar with the Dionysian traditions, they probably would have understood to some degree what they were getting themselves into. 
Mm. But if, if this was kind of their, the, like, this is kind of how I'm visualizing it is that they were inviting people into these, uh, guided meditations or guided trips or something of the sort, right? Like a, like a, a church service of some sort where you got somebody who's reading the gospel and they're reading the words of Jesus or something like that. And everybody's, uh, taking the, the, the sacrament, they're taking the wine and yeah. Yeah. as they're, as they're starting to you know, trip and they're listening to the words that are being told them, then, then I can see how for some people, maybe this would have actually been very exciting, you know, a new religion on the block. Um, you know, it's, it's mm. similar, but, but then for a, lo- a lot of people though, as well, they probably would have seen no use for it. Right. They would have been like, I don't, you know, yeah. I mean? I'm just going to go to the Dionysian temple and keep doing my thing. Right. So exactly. It's not until what 300 years later with Constantine that maybe you really start seeing a push to transform these uh, pagan uh, temples into Christian temples, and, yeah, um, yeah. and that's kind I mean, of the I mean, they history of Christianity, um, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, fr- from the evidence, um, it doesn't look like the the the, the current narrative of them being um destroyed like the pagan temples being destroyed and things like that being destroyed by constantine to um make christianity you know the religion um there doesn't seem to be any archaeological evidence for that um which is fine um it seems then that it that that then supports the kind of subtle political um, agenda of Constantine. So, um, if, like you say, uh, you know, like 300 years later when it sort of starts to kind of gain steam, um, to it, it, forcing people to um, accept a religion, um, I believe, wasn't uh, it wasn't a thing back then. So I can see that what Constantine would have possibly done or what he would have thought of which mirrors today's politics is like a subtle change um so so destroying pagan temples would have done nothing but anger people that were still following the pagan cults sure um so instead i don't think it was a destruction as much as a renovation yeah they kind of renovate i mean i know a lot of people have uh, said that christians went around destroying uh, thousands of temples uh, and and whatnot, but there's there's literally there's not there's no evidence for. Is there that. not? There, there's not evidence that like because what I recall hearing anyways is, is that there were you know temples devoted to Mithras that were then changed to uh, to to be Christian um, or oh you they, know, they, yeah they might have yeah. like sort of changed what they were used for, but um the 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 the, the, the narrative that seems to go around is that they they were they were like you know like um just dismantled or destroyed. That the mm-hmm. actual physical uh pagan temples were destroyed but that's not the case like you said they were just they were reappropriated right um uh, and a lot of these I mean, old look, churches right they i mean you, yeah. you peel back some of the layers and you're looking at pagan symbols and stuff exactly yeah, yeah. and um what seems to have been the case is that and isn't that uh, such a great indication of like what christianity is you know what yeah. I mean? like if you want to understand what it is like just look at that right there and that is it's a renovation of religion yeah 
but it's right. um there's no uh, from what i seen, there's no religion that's original except for the sort of the religions way back mm-hmm. um uh, you know especially the sort of the, mo- the, the 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 religions that we know of and familiar with it they're not they're not original um but with constantine it, it it would be a fact of um stopping the financial support for the pagan cults mm. and stop and gently easing the money away from the pagan temples mm. um over a process of time and then um so that you know there, there is no reason for um the roman elite to sponsor those religions because it was no benefit for them they won't get any money from it so then it's kind of is a kind of shift from pagan gently shifting into christianity constantine putting in um, the um infrastructure for the churches as we see like churches cropping up um and then yeah (laughs) and then there's there's a i can't recall the details uh but um I can't, and I can't remember who the researcher was, but uh, I, I recall reading a book or watching a documentary, and it was talking about a previous. I think it was maybe talking about the uh, um, the story of Moses and how the story of Moses was made, and that it coincides with the changing of the age, and that. Um, the true story of the Moses story actually has to do with uh, a pharaoh and that at the changing of the age, there was this, the pharaoh's son wanted to create a new religion that was in honor of the new age. And, um, and that created a rift that uh, eventually he was exiled and um, yeah, Again, I don't remember all the details here, but I I do think that there's an interesting parallel between that and what you're looking at here. Because if you want to look at one of the motivations for why Pizzo would have wanted to create a new religion, it might have been something to do with that. Because that around that time, astrologically speaking, is also the changing of the age. Mm-hmm. And so that might have been somewhat of the impetus, right? Some of the inspiration of like, oh, you know, the, a new age is changing. We need a new religion for the new age. And but if you think new- about it, I mean, with the with the Egyptian pharaohs, we we hear of um, the Egyptians um, coming from Egypt into settling into Judea. Mm. So, if the Egyptian pharaohs created a new religion and then you know brought it into judea Mm. and we find that um the carpurnus piso um herodians and flavians are descendants of those um you know the the, the jewish royalty Mm. then really what you have is um what they had was a sort of a blueprint yes. of how to create religion yes and how to make it work yes um 100 yeah not saying that it's going to happen overnight because obviously right. judaism judaism was so strong but yeah. they had the blueprint there mm-hmm. yeah um so it kind of yeah, that, again 
that's what I think is is really hard to wrap your head around if you really haven't thought about this much and if you're very steeped in um, you know the, the fundamental traditions is the intellectualism of of people at this time. I think it's it's um, easy to assume that people were not that smart or not as smart as they are today. And I think that yeah. what what this reveals is that no, you know, like two thousand years ago, people were really freaking smart. There were some really smart people out there doing some really incredible things, incredible well, architecture. Well, particularly on any elite elite level, yeah, sure, the, the elite, sure. yeah. I mean, right. uh, the the literary levels, um, you know, speaking or or writing, um, were very low. Um, I think it's. Um, Jewish professor uh, Catherine Hetzer, I think I pronounced the name right, um, presents um, information about that. Um, but I mean, uh, ancient Roman royalty is known that they, the, the ancient royals sent their children off to um, uh, over here to the UK to be taught by the Druids. Hmm. And the Druids had the knowledge and we know that the Romans killed off the, the, the Druids. There, there's information um sure. available sure and so what would the romans do when they killed the 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 druids off that they'd been learning from take their information and use it for exactly themselves. right yeah. and this is what empires do right yeah exactly that's uh it's something that's pr pretty common and um you know you look at uh, even the bible when it talks about the jewish people taken into babylonian captivity it talks specifically about how they took the best and brightest and um yeah yeah, it's a it's a common thing when one nation conquers another. It's like, yeah, we want to we want all your best stuff now. <laughs> yeah. We want yeah. we want your smartest people. We want your we want all your books. We want all your, and um, that I think is is what we're looking at here when we're looking at Piso is we're looking at an individual who um, again, correct me if I'm wrong. In, in addition to having a, a, a military um, career, which is fairly common for Roman royalty, he also yeah. appeared to be an academic. Like, in you know, I think he, yeah. the the, um, you know, he 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 might have been the tip of the spear, but it, it's but I I kind of wonder about the interactions that he's having with other people and the information that he is um, compiling over a period of time. And the mm. conversations that he's having, right? Because you're talking about how he's related to the Herodians. Yeah. So, you know, we're talking about somebody who has um, already one foot in the Roman traditions, which are connected to the Greek traditions, which are connected to the, you know, Egyptian traditions, etc. Yeah. And then you've got, um, you've got him related to these individuals who are very steeped in the Jewish traditions, right? Right. And um, Jewish mysticism, I, I mean, it, it seems as though it was just very, very popular. Um, they, the, like even now, right? If you look at Kabbalah yeah. and, and uh, um, that's one of the things that I, I, I found interesting uh, um, as a Christian and kind of moving away from that and looking at Judaism, realizing how stripped down Christianity is in relationship to Judaism. Judaism is is very um it's almost scientific or mathematical or something um mm. it's it's like a form of spirituality that's based on um 
you know, the, the, the different vowels and yeah, numerology. And so they, these people would have been very versed in all of those things. Right. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Well the, well, the Greeks had, um, um, the, the, the writer known as Plutarch, um, mm. which again, evidence shows that he, that wasn't the real person. Um, in his work, we have a, uh, a, a, a thing called, um, Isopsephy. Mm. I think that's what it's called. And it's basically, um, the, 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 a game of, um, using numbers to create names. Mm. So we yeah. have, we, we, we have examples of it being used. And, um, I think that's what's, I think that's one of the things that's confused me is that we, we know these different things were used mm. and we have other examples that aren't linked to Christianity, mm. but they're being used at the time. Mm. And for me, it, it baffles me a little bit um, that when numerology is mentioned in the Bible concerning this information, um, it's um, sneered at or it's called, you know, mm. called whatever names. Mm. But if you, um, I don't know, for, for example, with, with, with Nero being depicted as the beast right. um, and, you know, saying that, that his name Caesar or Kaiser Neron um, is presented in 666. Now, mm. that's fair enough. But when new information comes to light, um, as has come to light at the moment, that at the time when we think about Christianity, um, the understanding of Christianity at the moment is that Nero wouldn't... Uh, Nero wouldn't have known anything really about Christians. A Christian religion wouldn't have been separated from Judaism if we're thinking about the current understanding of it. Sure. So when we look at that and we see that Nero couldn't really have been a beast because of the way he seems to have been, a man of peace, hmm. um, then it kind of gets stripped away. But then, again, if you go back to... Um, the Flavians, Herodians, Pisos, when you realise that you look at the number 666 again, and even 616, mm. that it spells out the name uh, Christ Flavius Josephus, mm. and it doesn't even take a lot of work to create that name out of those numbers. Mm. And when you mention that to people, and you say, well, Flavius Josephus is in the right context and relevant to the subject. Mm. Um, I think I spoke to one person, he was religious, mm. um, and he came back with a remark, well, um, you know, Barney the dinosaur can be made into 666. And I was like, yes, but I'm pretty sure Barney the dinosaur wasn't alive at that period. You know, <laughs> it wasn't a thing. So it was like, it's, it's a bit of a bit of a silly argument. Um, but when you kind of sort of say that and people sort of reject it, I'm like, well, why? Why would you reject it? We know that yeah. this guy who called himself Flavius Josephus is linked to the New Testament. Um, and then they say, well, we can't make Josephus's name out of 666. It doesn't um, compute to that. And I say, well, when you 
think of it from the Latin perspective of the mm. Roman elite. Mm. The Latins uh, in Latin, there's no there's no um, symbol for zero. Mm. They didn't have a zero. It mm. was the word numa, I think is the, is the correct one. Mm. And so if they are writing and they're thinking about it in Greek, which did have zero, then they can easily take the zeros away, mm. present a name for themselves. Mm. Thinking in Greek, but, you know, sort of thinking between the two languages, there is absolutely nothing to stop them from doing that. And I, I suppose there's things like that that, um, I don't know, I, I wonder why it's not been looked at before. Well, again, I think, like, my brain goes back to the fact that English distorts a certain amount of the meaning. And unless you can sort of put yourself in the shoes of somebody who, like you're saying, is of a Latin background but understands Greek and understands Aramaic and Hebrew and, like, yeah. understands the interplay between the languages you know i'm a bilingual person so i i can i can there there's when you're bilingual there's like you can understand certain nuances and there's even jokes right like that's kind of one of the things i think you yeah. point out in your book is that if you understand the context then there's like these little jokes that are in there but you have to understand latin greek hebrew and numerology and <laughs> yeah. like you know what i mean to get the joke you know um well, you, you kind of have to you have to know that that's that that's what's going on right. if you don't know that that's what's going on in the first place you're not going to be looking for it yeah um you know yeah you, yeah. you have to have a kind of you have to have a starting point um yeah the the starting point i think for you know, from one person to another is, is either going to be, to be, I believe this or I don't. And yeah. I, I know that for anybody who already believes it to change from that place to, I don't believe it is an incredibly difficult shift to make. And yeah. psychologically speaking, like, I mean, I, the, the transition I made was over a period of, of years. Um, yeah. If all of a sudden, you know, if, if you were to take 20-year-old me and suddenly download all of this information into my brain, I might have like a psychological <laughs> breakdown. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? Like my, my brain would just be like, you know, and, and I think there would be trauma. Like I feel traumatized already, to be honest with you. Um, but it's like a it's like a slow trauma, you know. What I mean, because it's like a slow waking realization of like, oh man, you know, like I spent however many years just being hoodwinked by this whole thing. But yeah, I've been yeah. trying to be more compassionate with myself and try to understand it, and and you know, be like, <clears throat> you know, it's not that you're stupid. It's just that's that's no. the lot that you were given in life, and you know, you do the best well, that you can, and there's yeah. there's something to learn from it, right? I suppose I've got an advantage um, in the fact that um, I've never been religious. I've mm -hmm. never had anything against religion per se, um, mm -hmm. and my my interest has been purely historical. Um, but I think that if people read 
the book and and read the inf the information on the website. Sorry. And then that's no, right. Good. Um, yeah. No. If if people read the the information that I presented, and they feel stupid for being hoodwinked by it, I don't think that they should because really, um, you know, unless you're educated to the level that the elites were educated to, mm. then you're not gonna gonna know about these things. Mm. Um, I mean, like I said, we have um, corruption in politics at the moment. We know we do. Mm -hmm. um, and there's things that we don't know going on in politics that we have no idea about. And, you know, I mean, throughout history during the war, um, there's been propaganda sure. um, to get people to believe a certain thing and to act a certain way. Yeah. Um, so unless people are given the information and given the education as they're growing up about how these things work, how words work, how letters work and and and, and whatnot, then they're not going to know it. Right. Um, and th so there's, there's no point feeling stupid. It, it, I mean, you should feel peed off, really, that um, <laughs> the education system's been so poor. Yeah. Um, because, you know, the education, the, the general education system, especially over here in the UK, is a fairly recent thing. Um, and it's still, uh, you know, when I look at it, I mean, I've got a little boy, and when I look at the work he's doing, um, I think, well, um, you know, I, I've worked in various places, and I can see that the level of education that I had and my little boy's getting is below the, the, the level of education that um, people, say, Oxford or, or Eton or, or, or um, you know, private colleges get. Sure. So there's there's no point feeling stupid because it, it, it you know, I, I say feel anger. I mean, people can feel what they want, but, you know, if you're not taught it and if you don't know what's happening, then it's no one's fault. Mm. Um, I mean, this is, for, for this to change people's minds and for it to change academia, um, because this is quite controversial and quite a mass of information and quite big, um, I think it will take a long time to um, change the way people think because sure. um, an example I can give is the um, Historia Augusta. I don't know whether you've, whether you're aware of it. Um, it's basically a collection of biographies that is said to be composed by six people at different times um, under um, the rule of Diocletian um, and Constantine. But until the year um, 1889, I think it was, um, Herman uh, Dessau, he basically stated that a single author had written it um, at a date towards the end of the fourth century. And so it kind of, um, it, was, it was contested a lot um, by authority and people in, in scholarship. They, they didn't like it because it was going against what their what they viewed as correct um and it took a, it took long years to gain recognition and um you know the the, the eminent um late historian sir ronald syme um did a huge amount of work on it and 
in my view, if the Historia Augusta, which isn't as controversial as this, hmm. took long years to gain recognition, and I can imagine this is going to take even longer. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think it, I'll probably be in my 90s by the time academia accepts sure. it. <laughs> sure. Um, but it's just, it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, th this is the waking realization that I've had, right? The more that I've moved away from fundamentalism and uh, and try to see things um, from a different perspective, an informed perspective, the more that I've kind of, you, you kind of have to deal with the loneliness, I guess, uh, the realization of like, okay, well, I, I know this now, but, <laughs> but yeah. I still live in a world yeah. where this stuff is baked into the pie. Um, yeah. But I, I really like what you're saying because I think that's an important point that I'd like to get across to anybody who's listening um, is that, again, the information we're going through here, this is not about attacking anybody or calling anybody stupid or, you know, whatever, diminishing anybody's intelligence. Rather, it's, it's really about exposing a truth that says so much about who we are as humans. And I think for mm. myself, one of the reasons that I really wanted to do this is because I feel for myself that the more that I gain clarity in my life, the more that it helps me deal with uh, my own anxieties and uncertainties and stuff. And a, a yeah. certain amount of that comes from the fact that for 20 years, and I was very deeply involved in this belief system. And now I'm at a point to where I can see how that belief system um, functions in the world and the effect that it has. And because yeah. I was a part of it for so long, I'm critical of it and um, concerned about how uh, it will impact the world, um, how it has impacted the world. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's it's. It's one of the one of the things that I concern myself with is just sort of as a Christian growing up in the church and just kind of realizing how <clears throat> there is sort of this self fulfilled fulfilling prophecy that's at work within Christianity um, that has to do with certain beliefs that are baked into the belief system. One of those being, like I said before, how you know there's a belief that there's an inherent evil in in um, the physical world and that the physical world is doomed to destruction. And um, I, I think that this belief it feeds into our current problem with climate change. Um, I think that uh, a certain amount of people are irresponsible because they feel like they don't have anything to worry about. You know, the world's going to go to hell in a handbasket anyway. So why why don't we why not even get it there faster so that way Jesus shows up sooner? <laughs> yeah. um, there's a kind of twisted mentality kind of baked in there. Not everybody mm. shares it. Not it's not overt, uh, but but when you kind of see it at play. Um, in kind of its larger, more violent forms, that's where for me, I've really had to take a step back and do some soul searching and all of this. And, um, mm. and, and, you know, it's interestingly enough, when I consider my own relationship to Christ, uh, the idea of Christ growing up in, in church and just, you know, how I, I, um, related to that, um, you know, it's, it's the idea of, I think trying to be a better person, trying to, you know, you're, you're sort of piggybacking on the son of God in order to try to be a better person. Um, mm. But uh, I, I feel like I'm at a point in my life 
where I definitely understand the need to take personal responsibility and realize that, um, you know, whatever you believe, uh, you have to take responsibility for your life, your actions, um, and, uh, you know, the, the choices that you make and, and whether you uh, attach religion to that or not, um, we're, we're all sort of in a similar situation. And that is, we want to try to live the best lives that we can possible. And, um, and I think for me, part of that process has been trying to understand Christianity and try to understand my relationship to it. Um, the effect that it's had on me, negative and positive, um, mm. and also the, the effect that it's had on the world, um, at large, uh, for negative and, po- uh, and positive. And that's something that I have wrestled with more so as I've become, as, as I've realized the imperialistic, uh, thrust of Christianity and how often the gospel has really just been used as an excuse to go in and take other people's stuff and, uh, kill them <laughs> yeah. if they don't agree with you, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's like, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, it, uh, in, in a, in a think... sort of, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, a agreeing with you, um, I think there's a lot of, there seems to be a kind of a, 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 a sort of freeway kind of conflict. It's like, one, you have people wrestling, like yourself, wrestling with their faith and coming out of their faith um, and, you know, realising, taking responsibility. And then you have, um, uh, you know, the religious wrestling with sort of, those that describe themselves as atheist, mm. um, you know, arguing back and forth. Mm. Um, but then you have um, arguments between atheists as well, which, sure. um, which I, I don't understand when this context, this information is removed. I don't understand why atheists are arguing between themselves. That makes no sense. Um, <laughs> But when you bring this information in, I can understand why. I mean, there's there's a few people that um, uh, class themselves as atheists, and and um, say that um, an elite authorship is widely known within um, academics or academia. Mm. And then on the other hand, you have someone saying that uh, a notion like that. Um, that the oral tradition is gone and it's just elite authors mm. is a radical idea. So it's like, so which one is it? Is it, you know, um, you know, it, it, do scholars know that the elites wrote the New Testament or is it a radical idea? Now, it must be a new idea because um, I said in my book on the website that, you know, there's now a publication out. Um, the Origins of Early Christian Literature um, by Robin Faith Walsh. And uh, she um, argues for an elite authorship of the Synoptic Gospels Hmm. um, based on the evidence we have from literary capabilities and who would have had the means to create it. So it can't, in my mind, it, it can't be accepted within academia yet because why would a professor bring out a new book and it be regarded as a radical idea? Um, and I think the people that think is a radical idea and tying into this is the, um, the existence of Jesus. Um, I believe the 
you know, people don't believe Jesus exists or mythicists or, or whatnot. Hmm. Um, I can see why they would call people mythicists because why uh, bring in the name of the location as Nazareth if Nazareth didn't exist because it is a problem because, you know, it, the, the Messiah is meant to be born in Bethlehem. Hmm. So why did he come from Nazareth? Um, and there's a whole load of, you know, things in there. Um, but I think the people that say that it is a valid argument, and I understand it, but I don't, those people, I think, have either knowledge or read up on the parallels between, you know, the, the Roman campaign and the ministry of Jesus, mm. and think it's all hogwash or whatever. Mm. Um um and i think that's the reason if they if they read it and they know it exists but they think it's rubbish they're going to think that yes this jesus guy existed mm. but if you read it and i think the way atwell presented it is wasn't my to my taste but i understood it so mm. i've tried to kind of bring it back a level and just not make it so excitable and just you know make mm. it more sober mm. um when you actually, I, I understand what you mean by that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, when you look at all the evidence and you look at, the, you know, you go right into it, you can see that the ministry of Jesus parallels the uh, the um, military campaign of. Um, yeah, Titus I think that's what I think that's what people would have such a hard time with. Yeah, like I definitely. mean, like people have such a. a, a, a in their mind, most people have an idea of Jesus as being a pacifist, as being like, you know, loving and uh, and healing and people and all that. So the idea of Jesus being um, a trick, you yeah. know, like, like, here you go, here, we're, we're going to make this nice, pretty thing that looks really sweet and, you know, says he loves you and all that. But, but the reality is, I mean, is is it is something dark to such a degree that I think it would really be disturbing for most people to really kind of wrap their head around it. Yeah, and I, I, I think, think that's that why you can't you can't force this on people. People have got to want to yeah learn about it from yeah. their own will. I, I think for me, like what what sobered me up, you might say, was just you know, there's a. Um, saying like don't well actions speak louder than words right so mm -hmm. when you look at the actions of the christian church when you look at how it has functioned over 2000 years it actions speak louder than words so you know that that to me is the disturbing part of christian history that Every Christian, I think, doesn't want to admit, but the reality is, is that Christianity has time and time again been responsible for violence, conquest. Um, you know, it's it's very mm. easy when you have one group of people who feel like they have a mandate from God, they have superior military, um, and they and and the mentality is you're going to go to hell anyways. Let me just send you there faster. Yeah. Yeah. That is how it actually manifests. And very often people of good intentions, unfortunately, they are um, manipulated and mm. oftentimes are willingly 
you know, allow themselves to do so, um, so that people in power um, and uh, can perform military operations and and do things in the name of Christ. Mm-hmm. That um, is very dark, you know. Like it's 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 a dark aspect of our humanity that is um, is is very very difficult i think for anybody to untangle you know like just for example anybody who lives in the states and is heavily invested in in fundamental christianity and is also very nationalistic as an american as well you know i own my gun and i've got my bible and you know there there's so much invested there that to try to convince somebody that hey you know um you're actually a part of a, a dark history of violence and conquest. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and people don't necessarily want to connect themselves to that. Right. They don't want to, they don't want to feel like they're responsible for it. Um, mm. And they don't want to feel like they're perpetuating it either. Is you know, we can kind of go into like critical race theory and all that kind of stuff, but it's, it's um, I think that's kind of what's at stake here in all of this conversation really just has to do with like, what is the truth and how can we actually govern our lives from a place of truth and understanding as opposed to having the truth concealed from us. Mm -hmm. And um, we have to be constantly making decisions from that place, a place of confusion, a place of like not entirely understanding everything that's going on and having this sort of fog that's, that's, uh, constantly yeah. present and I, I would say that that's how i would describe being um being a christian being uh, in, in involved in church and what my eventual frustration was is i just looked around at the world and i saw that the world was operating in a certain way that the rules of my religion um you know they they helped me to some degree but in other degrees they were hindering me um dramatically and, um, and, and what I would say is just kind of like an, an intellectual block, yeah. you know, it's just like, there's only so far you can go because at some point you can't go any further because you've, you're holding on to these beliefs so tightly mm. and you don't want to let them go because I think it's terrifying. You know, yeah. I think people, yeah. you know, they, they're terrified to let go of like, what if I let go of of the idea of being an American and, you know, and God's on my side and God loves America better than everybody else, you know, like that yeah. I think is to some degree is terrifying because, because ultimately what it is, it's a, it's a, a metaphor for the power and the privilege of, of being an American and being in that position of like, I'm, I'm picking on Americans right now. Sorry. Uh, for anybody <laughs> who's American listening, but I'm just using it as an example. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm yeah. sort of showing how, how we as human beings, we will latch on to whatever idea because it gives us power. I think a lot of times, mm. you know, yeah. and, and, yeah. and so if, you know, if we're talking about atheists and comparing atheists, you know what I mean? Um, I think atheists, that's kind of maybe what it comes down to is sometimes it's, it's the power of being right. And yeah. so that's where the conflict might come in. It's like, well, you know, I'm right and you're right, or I'm I'm right and you're wrong, and that is a certain arrogance. Yes. Um, yeah. 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 That's my biggest. That's that's always been my biggest uh, issue when um, becoming more of a skeptic and moving more in a direction of atheism. Is a lot of times I I, I find atheists somewhat um, <laughs> untaste distasteful. Not all of them. Yeah. But, um, but I, I think it's, there's a certain amount of anger 
<laughs> there's with yeah. a lot of atheists, you know what I mean? And I understand it because you're living in a world where you feel like you're just living in a crazy world, right? Yeah. Um, you certainly and, get it on social media. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, I try not to get involved in it too much because I just, you know, I've got more important things to do. But I mean, if someone, you know, if someone um, tags me in a, a, a tweet or whatever it is, um, and it's not it's not stupid then I'll, I'll reply back if i got time i mean sometimes i forget but um i i've got into a few arguments on twitter before and um i just it, i i kind of just i take a quote from um winston churchill um love him or hate him um you know if you stop to bark at every dog that barks at you you'll never get anything done so yeah <laughs> um <laughs> sure i just yeah i can't be bothered it's it's i'd rather just get research done put it out there and um yeah. you know not have the stress of someone criticizing me on social media if they want to criticize me criticize me hmm. um if you want to check out the information for yourself check out the information for yourself and you know verify it verify it for yourself or debunk it for yourself um it doesn't bother me because I feel I've done a good job and the evidence is there. Um, I'm not going to force it down people's throats. So, you know, because that doesn't work. Well, it, it does for some organizations. <clears throat> well, I think sometimes, um, you know, there's the risk of preaching to the crowd. And yeah. uh, when you have something that's worth saying, then it's it's got to be something that even your detractors should um, should you know, question themselves and kind of say, okay, maybe this guy's got something to say. Right. But if yeah. you're putting up blockades and, um, and, and, uh, um, casting aspersions, um, then you're to some degree, you're not opening the door for people to accept the information that you're presenting. Right. Um, so I, I, I really appreciate, uh, uh, I think we're kind of winding down here. So I want to, um, yeah, just tell you, my little boy in a minute anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, perfect. Yeah. Um, but you know, like, I just want to say to you, man, first of all, thank you so much for doing this. Um, you're welcome, I've enjoyed it. I, I, I'm glad you did, and I, I was, you know, what I mean, you don't, don't necessarily know what's going to happen, but just for myself, what I wanted to get out of this conversation, I absolutely did, and I really appreciate that you're willing to do this, and I appreciate who you are as a person. And um, that you're, you know, you don't seem to have any access to grind. You're just looking at the data and putting it out and allowing people to make up their own minds about it. And um, yeah. I, I respect that. And I'd say for myself that just the opportunity to have a conversation like this and put to rest some of my own um, questions and curiosities that just kind of linger in the back of your mind the opportunity yeah. to kind of set some stuff straight with someone like you is, is, is really a joy for me. And I hope that other people, uh, get something out of this. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah man, so. just thank you so much. Well, for me, it's, um, it is good to talk to people like yourself because it gives me, um, it, it gives me a different perspective on, you know, the way people are thinking about certain things. So I can kind of, you know, know, kind of what research to tackle what's confusing people and see if i can you know discover new things to help that out if that makes sense absolutely so, you know, you know it's, it's, it's always good to have different perspectives not just your own 
Well, can I say, man, that I loved your first book, and I will tell you that when you put out your next book, I'm that <laughs> much more excited for it. Um, I'm uh, not sure when it'll be yet, but yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I'm not. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, it might not be next week or whatever, but just I the pressure I, is I, on now. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I I, no, I I know that doing something like you did. And just going into that, I mean, everything that's in this book, it's not a super long book, but just there's so much jam-packed in it, so much information that's just one rabbit hole after another. And yeah. um, and, I, and I know that it, it, to some degree, it's almost like flinging paint on the wall and just hoping that it looks like something, you know, looks like art, right? <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, the opportunity to put this out and get other perspectives and just kind of see where things go. Um, yeah, that's why I, I, I say that I'm looking forward to whatever comes next and I'm going to keep on paying attention to your YouTube channel and uh, the stuff that you're putting out. Um, I, I, I just can't uh, tell you how much I appreciate you and the work that you're doing. And, um, we're going to just, uh, for anybody who's listening, um, any links to Henry's content or anything that we've talked about during this podcast, I'll put those in the comments and, uh, by all means, you know, share this far and wide. Um, this is something that, uh, I'm really proud to finally be able to kind of take a lot of the information that I've been sitting on and, and have a conversation with someone like Henry and share that conversation with you so i'm really hoping that this uh, just opens doors to to more discussion and um, at the end of the day this is about bringing people together and not tearing people apart yeah I just, so henry just thank you so when, much man uh, i'll just say to when um i know that people have uh, asked if my book is going to be uh, peer-reviewed of an academia and i have i've submitted it to um, a new testament journal um and they have um criteria that they look for before sending a book out to make sure it's you know professionally written and um accurate and you know um i'm pleased to say that it looks to have passed that criteria so it's been it's been offered out for um you know a peer review so hopefully i get something back from that yeah yeah all right man that's uh that's exciting stuff um yeah, you uh, you've decided to go after something, man. Um, I I respect it. I respect the work that you've done. It's just uh, <laughs> it's it's it, you know what what I love about it is um, you did. It's like looking at at like a mess, and you're just like I don't know where to start, and I don't want to. Do, you know what I mean? And then you come back, yeah. and then somebody else has come, and they've cleaned it up and organized it, and you're like, oh, dude, thank you so much. Like that's how I feel right now. So yeah. so like I definitely, you know, I've got a prescription to aspirin. That's for sure. Yeah, no, <laughs> man thank you so much um i hope uh in the future we can maybe have another conversation do a follow-up yeah. to uh to what we did here and um yeah if anybody uh wants to follow henry you can find him on youtube subscribe to him there um and of course get his book creating christianity uh, i think i got mine on amazon so uh yeah, yeah. henry Thanks for me, man. Good luck with you rock man yeah thank you everybody for listening don't forget to subscribe to my SoundCloud channel. And you can also find me on YouTube at House of This, as well as Twitter. Also, I have an online store now. So if you go to myshopify.houseofthis.com, you can find all sorts of merch there. T-shirts, coffee cups, etc. It's a way for you to support the show. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. We'll talk to you next time.